Welcome back to Is It Horror? I'm Joe. I'm Matt. I'm Mitz. And I am Steve. And for those of you who haven't joined us on one of these shows before, the format here is basically we are taking a movie and eventually other forms of media, and we are debating on whether or not we think that it qualifies as horror. And it is all tongue-in-cheek, and there will be spoilers, and uh, don't send us death threats if you don't agree. So we greatly appreciate that. Sending death threats would be horror. It's true. <laughs> and, and maybe even metal, but it's not nice. Maybe we can review the death threats. <laughs> are the death threats horror? <laughs> <laughs> if we get any death threats ever, we are going to spend an episode reviewing if they are horror now. That is a thing that is happening. <laughs> Meanwhile... Not an invitation to send them to us. Yeah, please don't. Expect that response. (laughs) Please don't. (laughs) But uh, before we get into what the movie is for this episode, I thought we could get to know all of us a little bit better by going into what first got us into horror. So I figure we'll go around and everybody can kind of relate what started that for them. For me, I would have to say I'm a bit of a late bloomer as far as horror movies go i didn't really get into them until a little bit later you know i've watched some in high school but really not that many i didn't really start getting into it until i became friends with steve actually and uh steve has (laughs) steve has been slowly but surely uh teaching me in the ways of the horror and here we are 15 16 years later now I can say that I've watched a fair number of horror movies and have an opinion on many, <laughs> if not all. So that's mine. Hell yeah. So uh, this is Matt. Um, my humble beginnings with horror, I would say, also were attributed to Steve. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's mo- it was more like I was like an eight, nine-year-old kid who really wanted to spend time with my brother, so ended up watching a lot of things that I probably shouldn't have watched at that age (laughs) because I thought it would be a cool time to bond with my brother. (laughs) And so I was really scared of zombies for a long time when I was little and then eventually became a lover of of zombies and then obviously expanded a lover of zombies um, and then expanded my knowledge of horror based on that. That's where it all began. Oh, that's cute. I my intro to horror is probably different uh, because I think I'm the youngest one on this show now. I'm 25, so I'm from like the generation of millennials, the sub generation of millennials that pretty much was raised by the internet. So my intro to horror was like creepy pastas, you know. The old creepy pastas used to go. I used to sit on there all day and read those little stories and then lay in my bed as a little fourth grader and freak myself out over creepy stories on the internet and i also was pretty into the the horror movies of that time they were like amityville horror uh the ring the grudge 2000s era horror and then i kind of fell off of it for a long time and since meeting matt i have started to rekindle my interest in it especially the classics there's a lot of the classic horror movies that i haven't seen yet that's cool i think for me like i was trying to think exactly what initially started it and i'm not sure that i could name that but i can tell you the moment that cemented that i was going to be a horror fan for the rest of my life and that was kind of uh so i you know grew up as a teenager at least in the 90s kind of era and uh, so that was, I don't know, mall riding was a big thing. And there was about half a dozen malls within like an hour or so drive from my hometown there. And so me and my friends would just basically, you know, we'd hang out for the day and we'd drive to pretty much every single mall and just kick it around from mall to mall to mall. I'd already kind of like zombies because I think maybe I'd played Resident Evil 2 a little bit already. And uh, my one buddy... He was kind of like, I have this movie where there's a zombie apocalypse and they are holding up in a mall, which to me sounded like the greatest thing on earth. And it was. And uh, <laughs> so and we sat and we watched Dawn of the Dead. 
And uh, yeah, I just, I think I was equal parts in love and traumatized by that movie and uh, just a lifelong love of horror started ever since from there. I think uh, the only celebrity who I literally cried when I found out they died was George Romero. That's kind of my start and it makes sense my introducing both Joe and Matt to horror through zombies because <laughs> that was kind of my first love in horror. <laughs> And I just wanted to mention, because I think it's really cool, that me and my brother actually went to Pittsburgh and like saw all these sites related to Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead at the Monroeville Mall, and it was a super awesome trip, and, you know, that's the stuff that this breeds, you know? Yeah, that was seriously, like, one of the most fun vacations, just going and seeing all these things and, like, geeking out over that stuff while you're walking through the mall and most people are just like, ah, I'm just here working at Hot Topic. Like, I don't care. I just want a pretzel. Hot Topic is a <laughs> I think it wants to be. <laughs> it was a great time, but I don't know. Yeah, lifelong love started there. So, for today's episode... We are going to be talking about the 2017 film, The Killing of a Sacred Deer. Just to give a little bit of background history on this one, it was directed by Yorgos Lanthimos, who I'm positive I'm saying his name wrong. He's done several movies before that. I think that his first English language film was The Lobster, which is a few years earlier and had Colin Farrell in it. So this is the second time the two of them have worked together. He has a writing partner who we worked on this with, whose name I'm going to equally get terribly wrong, and I apologize. Athemis Filippo. So let's hope that's in the ballpark. <laughs> I guess, yeah, they usually end up writing movies together when they're working on stuff, or at least that's what they've done so far. And uh, it is loosely based on the Greek tragedy Iphigenia in Adelis which I mispronunciations galore on this one. Uh, but to give just a short description of this, so spoiler warning. So if you haven't seen it, probably a good idea to turn this off, watch it come back. The plot of it is you've got Colin Farrell's character there who is a uh, cardio surgeon. And he is friends with this young man who seems a little bit off. And uh, during the course of the movie, you know, you're getting a little bit more of the relationship. And what you eventually find out is that Colin Farrell had operated on uh, Martin's, the character's name. Well, use character's names going forward, so it's less confusing. So Colin Farrell plays Stephen. And uh, that's probably going to be more confusing. <laughs> anyway, Colin Farrell plays Stephen. And... Uh, this young man, Martin, he'd operated on his father about three years previously, and his father died in the operation. So Stephen has been trying to befriend Martin, and I guess maybe he's not entirely sure on why he's trying to do it or how he's trying to do it, but he's sort of filling in a little bit as a father figure. But it turns out Martin has other ideas. He's actually quite upset with Stephen and is trying to get justice on him, so he invokes it's never explained how, but this curse on his family, where they will first lose the ability to walk, then lose the ability to be able to keep any food down. Eventually, their eyes will start bleeding, and eventually they will die. And the only way he tells him that he can stop this is to choose a member of his family and to kill them. And that is going to be the justice that he faces. Because he killed a member of Martin's family, then he has to kill a member of his own family to save the rest. So, what's everyone's impressions on this one? Do we think it's horror, or where do we weigh in on that? I went into this movie not knowing a lot about it, not really having any concept of whether it was going to be horror or not, other than, you know, just the vague descriptions that I've seen, and I did watch the trailer beforehand. I came out of it having a real hard time deciding if it was horror or not. I, I don't think it's horror for a lot of reasons that I'm sure we'll get into. That's my initial thought on it, I guess, is I don't think it's horror. Okay, so yeah, I had no clue what I was going into. I hadn't even watched a trailer or read a synopsis. Definitely my initial thoughts watching it. I do feel that it's horror, but it's definitely horror in a 
different way than what I'm used to. I was very confused at times, uh, <laughs> lost, and just like weirded out. There was a lot of suspense in places that felt like there didn't need to be suspense. Um, <laughs> it's just just a lot of weird things. But yeah, I guess my initial verdict here is that I do feel like it's horror, but the movie was very kind of confusing to me. It's all over the place. I also had no idea what I was going into, and I will say from the very beginning of the movie to the very end of the movie, I was unsettled, so there's that element. I was, there was never a moment I wasn't uncomfortable in the movie, and I, I also agree with Matt that it is horror, and it's kind of its own brand of horror, like a psychological horror, but not even, not even the psychological horror that you're used to. It's just very uncomfortable but yes i do think especially based on the end it was horror i guess for me so this is the first one that we're doing that i hadn't seen beforehand and i went in thinking that it probably was and i really struggled with this one it's the one i think i've struggled with the most of any of the ones that we've done so far it's close, and I sort of hate my reasoning why, and we'll get into it, but I gotta say, I don't think it is. I am landing on, I think, no, that it's not. For for reasons, I guess, that we'll get into a little bit more as we talk about it, but I understand definitely the idea of it being a bit uncomfortable to watch, because I agree, I think that was there, and I think that the plot is basically, it's... It's very horror-esque, but I think, at least for my money, the short answer is something about the execution leaves me feeling like it's not. It was definitely an uncomfortable movie. Like like you all have said, like, yeah, you're uncomfortable through the whole thing. Just the way people talk, the way people react to things, some of the things they talk about, some of the things they're doing. Yeah, it's a very uncomfortable movie, that's for sure. I don't think, like, one of the things that kind of characterizes the movie for me, just in general, is that I feel like there's not one line of dialogue for, like, the first hour and a half of the movie that doesn't feel, like, completely brick wall and scripted. (laughs) Like, every line of dialogue is just, like, this weird kind of deadpan where you're like, wow, this is just weird. Like, why is everyone talking like this? Yeah, like I, uh, if I would have found out three quarters of the way through the movie that everybody was pod people, it would not have surprised me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it felt a bit, a little bit like um, the Kurt Vonnegut story where you have, I don't know, everyone's aliens and they're trying to pretend to be human or something along those lines. I think that's one of the things, at least, I felt throughout the movie is. Uh, it's it's in the way everyone delivers their dialogue, but it's also in the types of dialogue that people have to say. I feel like there's a lot of people stating their exact emotion while portraying very little of that emotion. Saying like, I'm very angry right now, I'm upset right now, but then they're saying it so prosaically that you can't really feel that emotion from them. He made me laugh until my ribs hurt. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It seems that the reason that they speak like that and the reason that a lot of the strange stuff in the movie happens is because, at least in my opinion, I think they were going for some kind of artistic, metaphorical portrayal of, I guess, like the cookie cutter family. I think that's what they were going for with the like deadpan conversations and the just almost like it's almost like i i told this to matt almost like you're a voyeur to just like a boring day in a house but people are extra flat because it's supposed to be some kind of artistic representation of the nuclear family that's that's the impression i got but the only character it actually fits for is martin because i guess he's supposed to be creepy which he definitely is (laughs) Yeah, like, if this movie, like, if everybody acted like normal-ass human beings, 
except for Martin, then this would have definitely been horror in my book because everybody was acting this the same way in that weird like off like brick wall sort of way like it just took so much of the feeling out of the movie for a movie that opens on an open heart it has no heart (laughs) i think that's why it's so unsettling so that's one of the things i spent like the last few days researching because i watched this earlier this week and so i spent a lot of time kind of maybe not a lot of time mind you but i spent time listening to interviews with the director and reading up on some of those things and trying to get like, where is this cadence that everyone is talking and coming from? Where is this sort of unnatural dialogue coming from? Cause I felt like it had to have been intentional, right? Like same idea as you, you know, it's, it's there to make you uncomfortable. It's supposed to unsettle you that these people are talking in this strange way that they're having these strange conversations, but the director, his claim is that he didn't tell any of the actors to talk in this cadence that they all adopted that he just worked with Colin Farrell on the previous movie The Lobster and that that's kind of what he was what Colin Farrell had sort of adopted doing based on the script in that one and that so he came to the second one as sort of a veteran of of this guy's films of Yorgos's films and chose to adopt that cadence again and that everyone kind of just followed suit on one side it could be as simple as him saying basically like i didn't tell them to talk this way they just decided to talk this way and i liked it or on the other side of it it could be something more akin to him feeling like they were just 100 percent getting what he wanted so he didn't need to direct them much because they were already out of the box doing exactly what he had hoped that they would do which I guess if you're saying the second part, then it's, yeah, it's supposed to be uncomfortable and they nailed it. If you're doing the first part, then it's a little bit like, you know, he, he it's emergent behavior that he hadn't even expected, but decided to run with. It's kind of interesting, too, because like Nicole Kidman's character, like later on in the movie, even kind of comments on it. She's like, how could you just you're such a man like you just say, like, we should have mashed potatoes tomorrow, like. It, it kind of like she breaks a little bit. I feel like her maybe more than the others, uh, her character breaks into more emotion. But then like the, the whole scene where like he's with Martin in the basement and Martin's like, it's a metaphor, it's a metaphor. Like that kind of, I think, summarizes the whole movie in a way, you know? It's desperately trying to be a metaphor that doesn't work. <laughs> or that's hard to yeah. understand <laughs> yeah extremely and i think that's one of the things that at least as far as the lack of emotion that people seem to be portraying i feel like there's this sort of weird juxtaposition between what you'd expect and what actually happens and i think a good example of that is the second to last scene where he's doing you know, he's walking around there with the gun spinning in a circle and choosing which people, you know, who he's going to shoot by random. It's strange because, you know, there's a little bit of whimpering. There's some tears. The daughter is crying a little bit. The son reluctantly is like trying to keep from having the hood put on him, but they're all duct taped there. But none of them are trying to escape, so it's playing lip service towards the idea if you were in this situation, you might struggle, you might try and get out of it, you might not accept this fate, you would have to have someone tie you down so that you would stay and you would submit to it. And that makes sense, right? If you were a real person and you were doing this, you would have to do that, you would have to tie these people down, you'd have to, in order to make it work. But then, the way that everyone is acting in the film... I don't think you would have to do that. So it doesn't really make sense as you're watching that sequence. At least I don't feel like it makes sense. And I'll acknowledge that maybe I'm just not getting something about the way that they're trying to portray it. But it's kind of like, why are you going to the effort to duct tape these people in place when they aren't even trying to move? Yeah, they couldn't walk away, some of them, but they could crawl away. And in fact, have tried to crawl away in different scenes. So what's the point of duct taping these people up who are very close to just docilely accepting their fate. Even the the daughter was almost asking to be sacrificed, which was also unsettling. <laughs> she was very creepy towards the end. She got real creepy. And like, and I, going back to that too, like in a normal situation, 
probably the fa- the whole family was like, okay, what the hell is going on? Like, we're, everybody's freaking out. Probably everybody's full of emotions. Everybody's anxious. You're probably calling the cops. You're staying in the hospital. Whereas, like, the back half of the movie was, like, low-key, each member of the family individually trying to appeal to Colin Farrell's character. Like, I'm good. Don't kill me. We can make another kid. <laughs> yeah, like, every yeah. one of them was, like, giving their kind of little petition like don't let me be the sacrificial deer (laughs) yeah okay and so that's kind of at least where i'm coming from with this is because they've got the music's you know the scores they're trying to make you feel tense the situation itself is trying to make you feel tense um i do think that martin that actor that played him did a good job of him being unsettling but i feel like it's hard for me to emotionally connect with what's going on in this movie where everyone is being so stoic for the most part about all of their line deliveries, the situation that they're in. And so if it's hard for me to connect with them and care deeply about who it is that gets killed when the characters aren't necessarily reacting that strongly to it either. And so I guess it's kind of the weird thing, at least I feel about it, is I don't want to say that a movie has to be scary for it to be a horror movie, because I don't think that's the case, or that it even necessarily has to be trying to scare you in some situations. But I do feel like you need to be able to emotionally connect on it to feel all of that tension about what's happening. And I feel like while there was a discomfort in watching this film, that it wasn't coming from the right place so for me it ends up feeling more like suspense and i kind of hate that answer because it's way too nebulous and it's then it's very subjective too right because it's saying i didn't feel like it was connecting with me so it doesn't work but if it connected with someone else then that should make it horror but it's just such a tough egg to crack in that arena it's the best i could come up with there was actually I struggled with the answer to this question too, but there was really only one element of the movie that made me think it was horror. If it didn't have this one element, I probably would have agreed that it was a thriller or a suspense. But the fact that there is this unexplained curse that is actually affecting the the kids in in real life, like it's actually... It's not a threat, an empty threat by Martin, but it's actually happening and it's unexplained how he can have this effect on them, how he can make them not able to walk and make their eyes bleed and all this. That element kind of gives it that supernatural horror that I usually look for when I'm trying to decide if something is horror or not. And I don't know if a horror needs a supernatural element. But to me, that's what brought it over the line between suspense and horror. Yeah, I would agree with you on that as kind of the reason that I was painting it as horror, too, is because there is this unexplained kind of supernatural antagonist and that is potentially killing people. So that's kind of where I came up with it being horror, too, because if you watch the rest of the movie and you take out like the musical score it could just be like a sad hospital movie like family has some of the the score was like they just watch an alfred hitchcock movie and they're like oh you know it'd be good to have some creaky piano and scratchy (laughs) violin sounds in here let's just in very inappropriate times too yeah let's just throw these in (laughs) Yeah, there's like some moments too where I I won't even say just in the first scene out of the gate, like he's meeting with Martin and he's giving him the watch. And I want to say that the score starts in there too, where it's got like that eerie vibe. Like it almost sounded like some of the score to Ghostbusters to me, which I know that's a weird thing to say and I still haven't verified. But anyway, because I was telling Joe that before. <laughs> but uh, it had like, you know, the, the eerie sounding music in the background while he's giving him the watch. And it's kind of like, is this an eerie scene? It's in broad daylight. I mean, there's nothing weird happening. I have no reason to feel uncomfortable about this scene, but the music's sure telling me I should feel uncomfortable about it. Initially, they were only having that music whenever Martin was in a scene. So, like, everything else was, like, 
no music in general, but then if Martin was in a scene, it was like this scratchy, you know, violin sound. But then, like, once they're in the hospital, once the kids are hospitalized, a lot of times it's just, bam, smack thrown in there willy-nilly, it feels like. <laughs> yeah, I noticed several times where, like, it felt completely out of place, and, you know, they were just, like, walking down a hall or something, or, you know, I agree, it felt very out of place. I mentioned earlier off the record that this was like one of the first times I've seen Matt look kind of mad at anything really. Um, Just the expressions he had at some of the dialogue, like his reactions, his facial expressions. And I felt the same way. There was a lot of times that I was getting upset at the movie, not at the characters, but at the movie itself because Like I kind of said, I think it was going for this weird artsy, I don't know. There was a lot of things that happened that didn't need to happen, that weren't explained, that it was clear they were trying to do some kind of like, it's art you wouldn't understand kind of moment. Example, when she kissed Martin's feet in the basement. When Steven, Steven was the main character, right? Steven was talking about... The masturbation with his dad. When what else so was there? There was awkward. so weird. <laughs> the strange like behavior in the bedroom with the couple. Like there's just some things that it's clear the director was like, yeah, that's good, that's deep, and I don't understand why it's in there, and it makes me mad. <laughs> <laughs> that that's like the sub the <laughs> sub title to this movie is you wouldn't understand <laughs> yeah. yeah like the, the whole time it feels like you're watching that it's like everybody should love this movie like and you're like oh yeah i love it but you don't really know why <laughs> you're like if you get down to the nitty-gritty you couldn't say why but you, you you're supposed to say that you love it maybe <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think so. I because I was curious about some of this stuff too. So I was trying to watch these interviews to see kind of I don't know come at it from his terms and all right. What did you What did you mean? What was the intent? And I saw at least some people suggesting that the whole kissing of the feet thing was to sort of set Martin up as this. Um, bear with me for a sec. Sort of Christ-like figure that he's supposed to be a stand-in for God in this story. That it's his wrath raining down on. Stephen and his family, so that's why they've got Nicole Kidman kissing his feet, so it's like someone kissing Jesus' feet in order to obtain some kind of mercy in that way, to humble themselves before him. And I guess I can kind of see where they're coming from, but I don't know how effective I feel that metaphor is. Right. Yeah. Metaphors are great when they work. Yeah, exactly. And, it, and when they don't, they just end up feeling like weird moments. But I have just no clue where the uh, where the character's head at head is at when he's sitting there telling his son about like I let me tell you a story about how when I first started masturbating it didn't work and then while my dad was asleep I jerked him off. <laughs> like that's a good idea. Yeah, that'll get it. <laughs> Completely irrelevant to the rest of the conversation that happens after that. Yeah, like his you've all you've succeeded in doing is traumatizing your son for his final few days cuz if I was a kid, if I was an adult, <laughs> if if tomorrow anyone that I've ever met told me that story that that was a thing that actually happened to be happened to them, that is basically all that would be on my mind for the next few months like <laughs> you did that. That happened. That's something that happened to you and you felt like you could just tell me that because you wanted to know a secret. Maybe you just tell me a secret like sometimes I go to Dunkin Donuts and I have a donut in the morning even though your mom says I should be on a diet. That's a secret. Not one time I jerked <laughs> off my dad and there was a lot of semen on the on the blanket afterward. <laughs> Let me tell you, my dad blew a fat load that time, son. Jesus. <laughs> So weird. <laughs> yeah, I just, I don't understand where they're coming from with that, and uh, I would love to hear what the explanation is. Yep, weird stuff. <laughs> On that note. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to bring it up. I just get angry when 
movies try to be artistic, but it doesn't work. And then I'm meant to feel stupid when really it wasn't my fault. I decided to add this disjointed part to your story. Yeah. And I mean, that was definitely, at least for my money, the most awkward dialogue in the whole movie. But at the same time, too, you get these other weird moments, too, where I Second two. My daughter started menstruating this week. Right. Yes. Right. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. And then they're all just acting like it's totally normal that he's telling them that. And that's the first thing she tells Martin, too, when he comes in. Like, oh, I just had my period. <laughs> yeah. Like, any, any guy's gonna... I don't know. When you follow that up with, I was like, oh, that's hot. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, because, yeah. Is that something men should just figure out how to be comfortable with? Sure. Is it something you want to mention on a not even first date? Maybe you keep that to yourself. But I get she's a teen girl and that's awkward. And if it was just that moment from her, I guess that would be fine. But the dad mentioning it in dinner conversation at this fancy party in the same way that he might mention, like, she started playing the piano recently. Also, she's menstruating. Up top. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) <laughs> sick I don't know and the thing is too like you get the sense from this movie and the people in it that he would have said the same thing like he'd be there four or five years later we believe our son has started masturbating <laughs> how's your day been oh 100% that is a line that would fit perfectly in the moment we found his crunch we found his crunchy socks under his bed would you like to know more <laughs> about them <laughs> And then the characters in the movie be like, yes, please, tell me. I'm interested. I'm here for you on this one. Honey, will you make mashed potatoes tonight? Yeah. <laughs> also, would you like some lemonade? Also, like, Alicia, Alicia Silverstone randomly appearing for some good thumb-sucking action. Like, <laughs> when he's like, no, back away, she-devil. <laughs> I'm a married man. <laughs> that was a thing that bothered me about the movie is just trying to figure out Martin's motivation and why for like the first half of the movie, he was doing the things he was doing, buddying up with Steven, like going to the extent to like find out what his wife's favorite flower is, going to lunches, getting watches, comparing body hair. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So weird. Yeah. I didn't understand when it came out, when you kind of figure out what he's actually doing and what's going on, it felt weird to me. Like, why didn't he just get on with the revenging instead of doing this whole, like, let me, I don't know, get to know you thing. And then, then he had this kind of weird thing about how he presented the, the curse, I guess about it. It was almost, well, it was still emotionless, but it was almost apologetically. It was sort of a, like, this is gonna happen this is happening to you so i mean make peace with it but like i I don't know he wasn't you know malicious or well he wasn't is it cadence wasn't malicious it was just like uh yeah you're you know one of your family's gonna die and this is how and he almost you almost wonder if he's like feels sorry for steven a little bit but so it feels like there's also supposed to be some symbolism behind the watch band and how he's like okay metal is metal is a sturdier one and everybody's like the other doctors like saying well the leather is good and then he gets martin the watch band with the metal and he says this is this is a better the metal is better but then martin like immediately goes out and buys a leather one so i feel like there's supposed to be some kind of symbolism there and like Okay, Colin Farrell's got these ideals, but everybody around him disagrees with them. But I don't know like that it really went anywhere. So kind of another mixed metaphor that just fell flat to me. I guess one of the other things, too, that I saw in that same vein is that he haircuts for, you know, his son and his pseudo son both come up because the first time he sees Martin, he tells him, hey, you know, you've got this haircut and that looks good. And then I believe that there is a scene where he mentions that he thinks his son ought to get a haircut and then his son uses that later in the movie when he's basically like, hey, don't kill me, I'll get that haircut. I definitely should have. I went ahead and cut it 
just now myself so that you pick somebody else. It's a, I don't know, again, if that's maybe the idea of um, feeding into the concept of control, right? That uh, Steven's character wants control over everything. And so having things nice and orderly is part of that. And so that's just his idiosyncrasies feeding down into his kids, or at least him trying to pass them down to his kids. Yeah. Not that I can say for sure, I guess, where that comes in is the watch band sort of thing. Maybe, again, it's like the idea of, I don't know, what, metal being more organized and leather somehow not, but I don't know. That feels like a bit of a reach on my part to try and make sense of it. To what you said, maybe it's going back just to the idea of he's making this suggestion as, like, what's the better course of action and everybody's just going off and choosing their own thing in contrary to what he is saying or in contrast rather so i guess at least more to the point so for you guys watching this movie uh you feel that the uncomfortable nature of it made it feel like it was horror for you guys and then um i think mitz you'd also mentioned the way that it ended too led you to that same conclusion yeah i think I mean, I was sort of feeling because, like I mentioned, the supernatural element with Martin was leading me already to believe it was horror after that hospital scene happened when he revealed everything. And then I think the last, you know, the last moments of the movie where he was, you know, doing his little spin (laughs) and deciding which member of his family was going to die. I think that was also a very horror-esque scene i mean they had the bags over their head i i guess in that case it was it was the imagery for me the bags over their heads the tape just the whole concept of like a sacrificial killing gave me horror vibes but i think the whole reason i think it it is horror is because of the, the supernatural so that's something i guess i'd like to kind of explore maybe a little bit more and talk about is uh I can think of movies where there's supernatural elements that obviously doesn't necessarily make it horror, but is it the combination for you that not only is there a supernatural element, but also it is a malevolent supernatural element. So basically yeah. having any sort of malevolent supernatural element would qualify it as horror. I think it definitely helps, but then I can think of horror movies that don't really have a supernatural element, like... Like when a stranger calls, it's literally just a strange man trying to kill the babysitter. So I don't know. It's hard to define it, really. I agree with myths. It's one element, and it, with that element strongly there, and then like all the suspense factors and the other imagery and the music, I feel like that is kind of what makes it horror, having all those elements together. But I would definitely call it a psychological horror rather than like your typical horror movie. You don't go to see this movie for the same reason you go to see like Saw or Halloween. Ones that are a bit more on the nose about what they are. Yeah. But it did have an effect on me, which I think also helps me put it into that category. Like I did feel disturbed. It's probably the best word. Hi, everybody. Sorry for the brief pause. We had some technical difficulties there, so we kind of got cut off midstream. Thanks for bearing with us, and here we go again. So we were kind of talking about the supernatural element of horror movies and this one in general, and I, I was just thinking as we were talking about it that, like, I think that is a big thing for me for horror movies. When you have that, like, kind of supernatural like force that you can't do anything about that's uh you know the thing that comes to mind most readily for me about that as an example is it follows where it's just this terrible thing you can't do anything about it it's coming it's just it just is coming and you can't stop it and you know it's happening and this movie i think does have that and so i definitely have to give the you know a tally mark in the horror category 
for this movie for that. Because I ended up not caring about anybody, though, it just wasn't that... It just didn't matter to me as much, unfortunately. Like, it was just like, well, okay, one of these people are going to die, but it just doesn't doesn't matter to me. They're all just these blocks of wood that might get shot. I guess, okay, so one of the things I guess I want to dive into a little bit more is that idea of the supernatural force, right? Because I'm trying to think of examples of malevolent supernatural force that exists in stories. I guess the thing that readily comes to mind, but the other thing that it brings up as far as the greater pantheon of fiction is the idea of Ka and the Dark Tower series, because you've got basically the supernatural force, which basically, for anyone who's not aware, and I'm not going to go deep into this section of it, maybe we'll talk about it in another episode, but Ka and the Dark Tower series is basically a stand for destiny or fate. And I think that you do get this with a lot of Greek tragedies especially, so I suppose it's fitting that this is loosely based on one, is the idea of people bucking against fate. So fate would be the malevolent force when it comes down to it that people are fighting against. So you do have the supernatural force that you can't fight against that does mean you harm. And I think that that idea of fate gets used a lot in fiction in all sorts of different genres, so I guess it's not to say that any I'm not saying anyone's right or wrong, but I guess just to say like what what makes the difference, I suppose. If you can look at say a Greek tragedy or a story that says, hey, this is fated to happen, this negative thing, and it's almost an active force unto itself, what's different than from that to this that makes this horror and maybe not in other pieces of fiction? Well, I think uh having read the Dark Tower series and Comparing it specifically to that, I feel like Ka in the Dark Tower is a lot more intangible than in this movie. The fate of the family is very tangible. You can literally see them not being able to walk and stopping eating and blood pouring from the sun's eyes. Whereas Ka, for example, in the Dark Tower, and maybe this is true in other stories is kind of like well there's a certain amount of disbelief to it could be coincidence or it could be fate or there's people who believe in it and there's people who don't but in this movie it's like concrete evidence this is happening and it's bad it's a metaphor (laughs) i can't speak for the dark tower because i'm not familiar with it but i think for me what separates a horror from another story with a dark force is I guess the feeling around that dark force, whether it's like, Oh, this is going to happen. It's going to be terrible, but everything's going to be fine. There's a hopeful feeling, I guess, versus dread. Because in this movie, I felt like the whole time watching it, I knew it was going to have a bad ending. It was like a inescapable, hopeless situation. A horror, horror situation, I guess. So maybe to a degree being able to put yourself in that position a little bit to say there's this unstoppable force, it's an immediate bad end that someone's going to come to because of it, and uh, I, I could almost see myself or feel that almost as I'm as I'm viewing this work of fiction, maybe. Yeah. No, you're wrong. Just kidding. I, I, I'm i having trouble <laughs> oh. putting it into words. No, that's okay. That's why I'm drawing it out of you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm trying to think of another example to compare it to. Like, another example of something with a dark force that isn't horror. Yeah, that's kind of what I was trying to think about. And it's, this is funny. This is the, because I was thinking of what's a supernatural force that exists in a film that's never explained that drives a plot along. And the example that I came up with doesn't work because it's not necessarily malevolent, but it's uh, liar, liar is the thing that comes to mind. I mean, in theory, is liar, it's a child's liar, wish. Liar? <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> next week's episode. <laughs> there you go. But you know, it's, I mean, yes, it's the child's wish that starts it, but who's there to fulfill the wish? Who's enforcing it? It's being enforced while the kid's not there. So I was just thinking to myself, like, yeah, it's a supernatural force, and it's there, and it's driving the plot along, and it's putting him in these situations that are uncomfortable, 
So, I mean, obviously I'm not sitting here thinking to myself anyway that liar, liar is horror, but I was trying to think of, yeah, it, I mean, that concept exists. Having a supernatural force doesn't necessarily, I guess in my book, make it horror or make it not horror because I think it exists on a few different levels. But the idea that it's the supernatural force that means you harm or means someone harm, I guess I'm trying to think of I can't readily think of an example. As soon as we stop recording, I'll think of one. But I can't readily think of an example of a situation where I've seen a movie where that exists, where it's it's not a horror. It's clearly not a horror. I suppose maybe it's something to look into more in the fantasy genre. Like that probably exists there a lot more often. I think um, maybe I'm thinking along the same lines as Mitz, but it's obviously more about what the malevolent force is doing and the atmosphere in which it is happening also is what puts me on to this being horror more than anything. Because the other example that came to my mind was also a Stephen King, so it's kind of, it could just be called Ka because all of Stephen King's works are related. All things serve the beam. All things serve the beam, baby. But um, eleven twenty two sixty three uh, is primarily like a time travel story. In eleven twenty two sixty three, the past is like actively fighting against him, but it's not like if, to me that book is clearly not a horror novel. So I don't know. But again, it's Stephen King, so you could say, well, that's just Ka, and it's the same thing that's in the Dark Tower. So bad example. So why but... don't you think that is horror? Is it because the way that the character is framing it. Like, I don't is think. He, does he have a hopeful feeling about the situation, or is yeah. it more of like I need to avoid this this terrible situation? Because I feel like that that is also an element of horror. Is whether or not we believe that the protagonist can overcome it or not. I think in that particular example, it goes back to like the instance of the problem being intangible like the main character sees it as the past fighting against him to stop his mission whereas it could be explained as coincidence or something like that where it's just he happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time or messed with the timeline that caused some change to happen so again, it's the intangible, like maybe this was coincidence versus the, okay, my son's bleeding from his eyes. I can see this happening as a result of the malevolent force. I think maybe another thing that goes into that too with that particular novel, not to spoil anything on it, but I think with that one, he can stop whenever he wants. I mean, yeah, he's fighting against this... Uh, this intangible force that's putting up roadblocks, but all he has to do is say, okay, you know what? I don't need to be doing this. I'm going to go home and then it'll stop. It's not going to bother him. It's not going to affect him ever again. Whereas that is different from what we're dealing with here in the killing of the sacred deer is yeah, he, he can stop it whenever he wants, but he has to make this horrible decision and take someone's life in order to do it. So it's not like he can just say, I'm tapping out. I'm going to go ahead and leave off of this and go do my thing and then it'll stop. So I don't know if maybe that at least makes some of the difference in those comparis in that comparison is it's completely in 112263 within the character's control to, to stop it. All he has to do is give up his mission, which is made clear by the story that it's not really necessary anyway. Yeah, that's I think that definitely adds to it the the hopelessness, the feeling of not having control are all elements that I think maybe are common to all horror or most horror. So maybe that's what does it for me. Yeah, and I think maybe, like I said, I don't like my reason for saying it's not horror because it's not objective enough for my taste. So I think that I think that you guys have a lot of good points. I think that it ultimately the the atmosphere that's going for the story that it's dealing with, the dark themes of that, the malevolent force working against them. Uh, I don't know. Because I've gone back and forth on this so many times. I don't know. I might be willing to change my vote on this and go with, yes, I think maybe it is horror after all. We got him. 
Got him, boys. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of it also has to do, this is what I was saying before I got cut off from the technical difficulties, but it also helps my vote that I wasn't disturbed the entire time. Not scared, necessarily, though I was never scared, but I was disturbed throughout the movie, so I don't know if that influenced my vote, but I think mood definitely has to do with whether or not you think it's horror. I think along those lines and why maybe I end up voting no is... You know, you said you felt disturbed through most of it, and I definitely understand that. I think for me, I felt more confused and annoyed rather than disturbed. (laughs) So that's why I think the feeling of it ended up, for me, being a no. I think that we all talked about the idea that it was uncomfortable to watch, and I was definitely uncomfortable during it, but I think that some of it's production choices more than it is the effectiveness of it. I don't know. I still, I don't like the idea of whether or not it's horror gets tied up to emotion because then it gets in that whole idea, right? Like if, uh, and I understand that's probably a bit weird. I'm sitting here talking about horror and people think about, oh, it scares me. And that's why I watch horror movies. And I'm saying like, take emotion out of the equation. And then also at the same time, talking trash on this movie for people being unemotional. But the point being this, that I feel like it ends up giving you a very subjective definition, right? Like it's horror if it scares me, but then Not every movie scares everybody, so I don't know. If you were scared by a movie, I don't think that's necessarily enough to make it horror, because what about people who have, uh, you know, an extreme panic attack to some sort of repressed trauma while watching a movie that is otherwise, like, I don't know, anything else, comedic, action, whatever, and they have that extreme reaction, for so for them, is it a horror movie? And that doesn't make sense to me as as a case. So in some ways, leaning into the idea of like it making you feel uncomfortable to say whether or not it's horror, I feel like, again, it ends up being a bit subjective. But I do think that while it's not the whole story of whether or not the director intends for you to be uncomfortable, I do think trying to make you uncomfortable, the, I, the, I can feel the movie trying to make me uncomfortable and your mileage may vary on what of that is intended and what of that just emerged because of actor's choices but i don't know i think it does play a role in it and i do think like i've said plenty of times in these episodes that the definition of horror is definitely a cocktail of things so it's not like it just has one thing so it is it has these several things playing in concert makes it horror so i guess i'd say like the atmosphere trying to make you uncomfortable and the tropes that they're playing with and having it a maybe having it a bad end because I do think how a movie ends definitely plays into the mood that it leaves you with going out of it. I don't know. I think maybe those things do add up to horror for me on this one. I think that's that's all fair, and like I think objectively that yes, it has all those elements. I don't know. It has all the stuff there for a horror movie. It's got the supernatural it's got the unstoppable malevolent force it's got you know there's gore there's you know unsettling things there's it's all there but i don't know i'll admit that my vote ends up being subjective but i I still just can't bring myself to call it horror just because i but at the end of the movie, I had no emotional attachment. And, you know, that's not everything I understand. But for me, like, whether or not I felt like it was horror, that is a big thing for me. But I, I didn't have any emotional attachment. And I was more annoyed thinking back about a lot of it rather than any other emotion. Well, I don't know if we can continue being friends if you disagree with me, so... <laughs> That's how it works. I only want to be friends with people who think exactly the same things I do. Yes. Well, all right. I guess I'm out. (laughs) See you. Podcast done. (laughs) (laughs) One other kind of random thing that I wanted to touch on, going back to like the whole supernatural force kind of idea, is um, the scene where he bites Colin Farrell and then he bites himself, Martin, that is. Aside from that scene being pretty disturbing to watch, it kind of makes you think, like, what is this kid? Is he even (laughs) a kid? Like, is he something else? What is he? So that kind of 
played into my discomfort a little bit too at that point. Is he just a kid or what what is he? I mean, he did have the ability to like curse this family to death basically. Yeah. Yeah, there's a something out yeah, I don't know, a little side story of Martin selling his soul to be able to curse Stephen and that's why he is what he is. I don't that's you know, just but it fits, right? Like, you say that, and if someone told me that was, like, a deleted scene that existed for this movie, I'd have no trouble mm-hmm. believing it. Yeah. <laughs> I think that it is intentionally trying to keep where his abilities, how this curse manifests itself ambiguous. So maybe that's, I, I don't know, maybe it's not something that necessarily was filmed or ever written, but I feel like it's not unfair to say that you could interpret the movie as implying it. That's that I, I think I said it already in earlier an earlier thing, but it was just like this movie would have been a a horror movie if Martin was the only one who acted the way he the you know, the way he did, the way we've been talking about this whole time. If he was the one who did that because, you know, he went off and sold his soul and he became whatever he is and, you know, gained the ability to curse people, but everybody else acted like regular ass humans <laughs> then it would have it would have been hands down horror for me exactly so there is a hard fast rule having a regular ass makes it horror the <laughs> <laughs> next pod we cast we do is uh is it a regular ass <laughs> yep <laughs> that's that's going to be our new podcast after this yes the podcast where we ask the question, is it a regular ass? No. <laughs> First episode, Danny DeVito. Anyway, no. <laughs> Sorry, Danny, if you're listening. I love your ass, Danny. Specifically, it's a great one. Why have I seen his ass so much? Now I'm, like, well, now I'm questioning that. Like, I can picture his ass. Why can I picture his ass? <laughs> I think that's a you problem. It's always sunny in Philadelphia. It's not just that. that. He's, his, I saw his ass in uh, Big Fish. Um, where else have I seen his ass? <laughs> Anyhow, different podcast. This is a Danny DeVito podcast now. <laughs> yeah, save it for the other podcast. <laughs> All right. Well, any other uh, closing thoughts? Any other topics anybody wanted to make sure we covered? I have a thing that if you want to edit this out later, that's fine with me because it's sort of unrelated. But I want to go back to Liar Liar for a minute. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay. Is yeah. it horror? Go go ahead and start into this. <laughs> well, okay. So this is something that's always bothered me about Liar Liar. And I want to hear your guys' opinions. So, you know, he's cursed to have to tell the truth, right? Um, but then there's the scene, you know, where he m- drinks a whole bunch of water and he makes himself need to go to the bathroom and he like, you know, tells the judge, hey, can I have a bathroom break? And the judge is like, can't it wait? And he's like, well, yeah, I guess it can. But I've heard that, you know, this can cause problems, cause all these medical things. And then the judge is like, is that true? And he's like, it has to be. Cause so you're left, left with the impression that like he has to be able to tell the truth, whether he knows it's truth or not. So then my question is, could he just like start randomly spewing, you know, things like, are there aliens in space? Who shot JFK? Yeah. Uh, you know, Lee RV Oswald shot John F. Kennedy. You know, but he wouldn't be able to say that if that weren't the case. You know, you know what? I'm, I guess you guys get what I'm yeah, getting at. <laughs> yeah, is there objective truth, or is it the truth so far as he is aware of it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> or would he have to say, "I don't know"? You know, like what if he yeah. doesn't know? What he has to report that he doesn't know? And that—that's what I would think, except for that scene where he's like, "Oh, it has to be true." I don't know. We've gone down a rabbit hole, lads. How many sleepless nights have you had thinking about this? Many. <laughs> I've, this is one of those random thoughts that hits me at weird times, driving to work in the morning, like, <laughs> is the pen blue? 
<laughs> okay, you know what? Like, not to yeah, completely derail us or anything either, and I'm not going to go into it necessarily in this moment, but I have also a random weird relationship like that with Toy Story where I have so <laughs> many questions. <laughs> where uh, Woody and Buzz are the names of his mom's toys as well. <laughs> Those names sound familiar, honey. Um, you haven't been looking through mom's drawers, have you? <laughs> she also writes her name on those toys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Any any other closing thoughts? Well, I want to hear your Toy Story theory. Oh, man. No, I, there's, there's too many. There's almost, there's <laughs> not enough time. Like, I just have these questions, like... I don't know. When do they become alive? When do they understand what the rules are? Uh, Sid, he puts together a whole bunch of other toys. At one point, are they alive? Are they two separate things that are alive and have their own separate consciousness until they're bonded together? Is the consciousness of certain parts of toys only what it would be for that? Like, if you just have an arm, is it aware? If it has a head, that has to be aware. Where do these things come from? Where does When does their life end exactly i i mean if they're going to be melted down at the end of toy story 3 are they going to still have some level of consciousness and why wouldn't they where does it all come from (laughs) i have they seem to know that there are rules that they have to pretend to be a toy why does buzz think that he has to do that too if he doesn't think that he's a toy like i just i have so many questions about the background mythology of that world (laughs) (laughs) must explore the toy story cinematic universe yeah. Yeah. What is infinity and what's beyond it? You know? And and do we want to know? Are we ready for the answer? What was before it? What was before yeah. it? Because <laughs> there must necessarily be something before it if it's infinite. Right. Well, it can't be infinite if there's a beyond. Oh my god. Those are my <laughs> weird questions involving <laughs> Toy Story. <laughs> Alright. Any other closing <laughs> thoughts before we wrap this up after that got <laughs> out of hand <laughs> we've touched on a great many things only this movie could put us in this kind of conversation and so i don't regret watching it <laughs> no yeah yeah i it definitely gave me a lot to think about and a lot to talk about and i think it was harder to quantify and i think that it's probably good for us to watch movies that are harder to quantify because that hopefully gets us closer to having something more concrete as far as a definition of horror. Agreed. That being said, I didn't really like the movie, but I liked that we analyzed it. I hated it. I hated it. I do like the way it ended, I will say that, which might be controversial opinion, but I like that last scene with the family in the diner and then Martin coming in, how they had that mutual, like, look at each other, like the deal is done or whatever. I liked that, but the whole movie, the rest of it, no. I I was angry a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can't say that I I don't I don't know that I would watch I don't know that I would watch it again. I'm not sure that I would say that I necessarily liked it. I don't know that I hated it either, and I wouldn't go so far as to say it's a bad movie, but I will go so far as to say that I'm definitely not the audience for it. Yeah. Yeah, same. I'd like to meet someone who is. And I would like yeah. to hear their take on it. I'd be curious about that, too. I tried to watch a few different YouTube videos just to see what other people's takes on it were and what their explanations for it were. Because this is one of those movies where I think every other movie I've ever seen anyone make a YouTube video for where they're like, the ending explained. It's always like a movie that was unambiguous in the ending, and you're just sitting there like, I didn't really need you to explain the ending of Cinderella to me, but thanks. <laughs> but this is one where I was kind of like, yeah, I mean, if you want to wax philosophical about what the ending means, by all means, tell me about it. Yeah. Maybe we should ask Colin Farrell. Yeah. Just like, call him up. Hey, Colin, um... What's it about, man? What's it all about? It's like, fuck me, I don't know. And then this would be where I put in my Colin Farrell impression, but I'm not going to. Do it. You won't. Uh, yeah. Can I even do one? I don't know. I'm. Just, that's wow. for another day. Wow. wow. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> that was really good. <laughs> <laughs>
I think that is our episode here. Uh, thanks for joining us at Is It Horror? Our next episode that we are going to be doing will actually be Gremlins. And so join us back here for that. I've been Joe. I'm still Matt. I'm Mitz? Question mark? Question mark. And I'm Steve? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Bye, everybody. Bye. 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 Thanks for joining us at Is It Horror? We post new episodes every other Friday. Think we didn't give this movie a fair shake? Think we missed something? Do you have a suggestion for future episodes? Do you just want to say hi? You can follow us at Is It Horror on Twitter. We have a Discord server coming soon. You can also email us at isithorrorpodcast at gmail.com. In the meantime, stay safe and keep asking yourself, Is It Horror?